0: Section Ten of Guy Mannering. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion, gines Salt Lake City, Utah. Guy Mannering, or the Astrologer, by Sir Walter Scott, Volume One, Chapter Seven. Come, princes of the ragged regiment, you of the blood prigs my most upright lord and these what name or title e'er they bear Jarkman or patrico crank or clapper dungeon prater or abramman i speak of all beggar's bush although the character of those gipsy tribes which formerly inundated most of the nations of europe and which in some degree still subsist among them as a distinct people is generally understood the reader will pardon my saying a few words respecting their situation in scotland it is well known that the gypsies were at an early period acknowledged as a separate and independent race by one of the scottish monarchs and that they were less favorably distinguished by a subsequent law which rendered the character of gipsy equal in the judicial balance to that of common and habitual thief and prescribed his punishment accordingly notwithstanding the severity of this and other statutes the fraternity prospered amid the distresses of the country and received large accessions from among those whom famine oppression or the sword of war had deprived of the ordinary means of subsistence they lost in a great measure by this intermixture the national character of egyptians and became a mingled race having all the idleness and predatory habits of their eastern ancestors with a ferocity which they probably borrowed from the men of the north who joined their society they traveled in different bands and had rules among themselves by which each tribe was confined to its own district the slightest invasion of the precincts which had been assigned to another tribe produced desperate skirmishes in which there was often much bloodshed the patriotic fletcher of saltoun drew a picture of these banditti about a century ago which my readers will peruse with astonishment. There are at this day in Scotland, besides a great many poor families, very meanly provided for by the church-boxes, with others who, by living on bad food, fall into various diseases, two hundred thousand people begging from door to door. These are not only no way advantageous, but a very grievous burden. To so poor a country, and though the number of them be perhaps double to what it was formerly by reason of this present great distress, yet in all times there have been about one hundred thousand of those vagabonds who have lived without any regard or subjection either to the laws of the land or even those of God and nature no magistrate could ever discover or be informed which way one in a hundred of these wretches died or that ever they were baptized many murders have been discovered among them and they are not only a most unspeakable oppression to poor tenants who if they give not bread or some kind of provision to perhaps forty such villains in one day Are sure to be insulted by them but they rob many poor people who live in houses distant from any neighbourhood in years of plenty many thousands of them meet together in the mountains where they feast and riot for many days and at country weddings markets burials and other the like public occasions they are to be seen both man and woman perpetually drunk cursing blaspheming and fighting together notwithstanding the deplorable picture presented in this extract and which fletcher himself though the energetic and eloquent friend of freedom saw no better mode of correcting than by introducing a system of domestic slavery the progress of time and increase both of the means of life and the power of the laws gradually reduced this dreadful evil within more narrow bounds. The tribes of gypsies, jockeys, or cairds, for by all these denominations such banditti were known, became few in number, and many were entirely rooted out, still, however, a sufficient number remained to give occasional alarm and constant vexation some rude handicrafts were entirely resigned to these itinerants particularly the art of trencher making of manufacturing horn spoons and the whole mystery of the tinker to these they added a petty trade in the coarse sorts of earthenware such were their ostensible means of livelihood each tribe had usually some fixed place of rendezvous which they occasionally occupied and considered as their standing camp and in the vicinity of which they generally abstained from depredation they had even talents and accomplishments which made them occasionally useful and entertaining many cultivated music with success and the favorite fiddler or piper of a district was often to be found in a gipsy town they understood all out-of-door sports, especially otter-hunting, fishing, or finding game. They bred the best and boldest terriers, and sometimes had good pointers for sale. In winter the women told fortunes, the men showed tricks of ledger domain, and these accomplishments often helped to while away a weary or stormy evening in the circle of the farmer's ha. The wildness of their character, and the indomitable pride with which they despised all regular labor, commanded a certain awe, which was not diminished by the consideration that these strollers were a vindictive race, and were restrained by no check, either of fear or conscience, from taking desperate vengeance upon those who had offended them. These tribes were, in short, the pariahs of scotland living like wild indians among european settlers and like them judged of rather by their own customs habits and opinions than as if they had been members of the civilized part of the community some hordes of them yet remain chiefly in such situations as afford a ready escape either into a waste country or into another jurisdiction nor are the features of their character much softened their numbers however are so greatly diminished that instead of one hundred thousand as calculated by fletcher it would now perhaps be impossible to collect above five hundred throughout all scotland A tribe of these itinerants to whom meg merrilies appertained had long been as stationary as their habits permitted in a glen upon the estate of ellangowan they had there erected a few huts which they denominated their city of refuge and where when not absent on excursions they harbored unmolested as the crows that roosted in the old ash trees around them they had been such long occupants that they were considered in some degree as proprietors of the wretched shielings which they inhabited. This protection they were said anciently to have repaid by service to the laird in war, or, more frequently, by infesting or plundering the lands of those neighboring barons with whom he chanced to be at feud. Latterly, their services were of a more pacific nature the women spun mittens for the lady and knitted boot-hose for the laird which were annually presented at christmas with great form the aged sibyls blessed the bridal bed of the laird when he married and the cradle of the heir when born the men repaired her ladyship's cracked china and assisted the laird in his sporting parties wormed his dogs and cut the ears of his terrier puppies the children gathered nuts in the woods and cranberries in the moss and mushrooms on the pastures for tribute to the place these acts of voluntary service and acknowledgments of dependence were rewarded by protection on some occasions connivance on others and broken victuals ale and brandy when circumstances called for a display of generosity and this mutual intercourse of good offices which had been carried on for at least two centuries rendered the inhabitants of Dernclaw a kind of privileged retainers upon the estate of ellangowan the knaves were the laird's exceeding good friends and he would have deemed himself very ill-used if his countenance could not now and then have borne them out against the law of the country and the local magistrate. But this friendly union was soon to be dissolved. The community of Dernclaw, who cared for no rogues but their own, were wholly without alarm at the severity of the justices' proceedings towards other itinerants. They had no doubt that he determined to suffer no mendicants or strollers in the country but what resided on his own property, and practised their trade by his immediate permission, implied or expressed. Nor was Mr. Bertram in a hurry to exert his newly acquired authority at the expense of these old settlers, but he was driven on by circumstances at the quarter sessions our new justice was publicly upbraided by a gentleman of the opposite party in county politics that while he affected a great zeal for the public police and seemed ambitious of the fame of an active magistrate he fostered a tribe of the greatest rogues in the country and permitted them to harbour within a mile of the house of ellangowan To this there was no reply, for the fact was too evident and well known. The laird digested the taunt as he best could, and in his way home amused himself with speculations on the easiest method of ridding himself of these vagrants who brought a stain upon his fair fame as a magistrate. Just as he had resolved to take the first opportunity of quarrelling with the pariahs of Dernclaw, a cause of provocation presented itself. Since our friend's advancement, to be a conservator of the peace, he had caused the gate at the head of his avenue, which formerly, having only one hinge, remained at all times hospitably open—he had caused this gate, I say, to be newly hung and handsomely painted. He had also shot up with paling, curiously twisted with furs, certain holes in the fences adjoining, through which the gypsy boys used to scramble into the plantations to gather birds' nests, the seniors of the village to make a shortcut from one point to another, and the lads and lasses for evening rendezvous, all without a fence taken or leave asked, but these halcyon days were now to have an end and a minatory inscription on one side of the gate intimated prosecution according to law the painter had spelt it persecution l'un vat bien l'autre to all who should be found trespassing on these enclosures on the other side for uniformity's sake was a precautionary annunciation of spring guns and man-traps of such formidable powers that, said the rubric with an emphatic nota bene, if a man goes in they will break a horse's leg. In defiance of these threats six well-grown gypsy boys and girls were riding cock-horse upon the new gate, and plaiting mayflowers, which it was but too evident had been gathered within the forbidden precincts. With as much anger as he was capable of feeling, or perhaps of assuming, the laird commanded them to descend. They paid no attention to his mandate. He then began to pull them down, one after another. They resisted, passively at least. Each sturdy bronzed varlet making himself as heavy as he could, or climbing up as fast as he was dismounted the laird then called in the assistance of his servant a surly fellow who had immediate recourse to his horsewhip a few lashes sent the party a scampering and thus commenced the first breach of the peace between the house of ellangowan and the gypsies of durnclough the latter could not for some time imagine that the war was real until they found that their children were horsewhipped by the grieve when found trespassing that their asses were pounded by the ground officer when left in the plantations or even when turned to graze by the roadside against the provision of the turnpike acts that the constable began to make curious inquiries into their mode of gaining a livelihood and expressed his surprise that the men should sleep in the hovels all day and be abroad the greater part of the night. When matters came to this point the gypsies, without scruple, entered upon measures of retaliation. Ellen Gowen's hen-roosts were plundered, his linen stolen from the lines or bleaching-ground, his fishings poached, his dogs kidnapped, his growing trees cut or barked—much petty mischief was done and some evidently for the mischief's sake on the other hand warrants went forth without mercy to pursue search for take and apprehend and notwithstanding their dexterity one or two of the depredators were unable to avoid conviction one a stout young fellow who sometimes had gone to see a fishing was handed over to the captain of the impress service at d two children were soundly flogged and one egyptian matron sent to the house of correction still however the gipsies made no motion to leave the spot which they had so long inhabited and mr bertram felt an unwillingness to deprive them of their ancient city of refuge so that the petty warfare we have noticed continued for several months without increase or abatement of hostilities on either side End of volume 1 chapter 7